0: Hi there. Since this is my first sermon with my new appointment, typically what I do when I start out in a new place is to give my new people an idea of who I am as a way of kind of taking the guesswork out of trying to figure out who this new pastor may be. And so today's sermon is titled, This I Believe And we are going to be reading from the book or rather from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. This is a letter from Paul or maybe Paul to the Ephesian church. And I'm going to be reading from the inclusive Bible translation. Uh, But again, as always, I encourage you to hear this and follow along in the biblical language that best connects you with God. So once again, let us hear from the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter one, verses three through 14. Praised be the maker of our savior, Jesus Christ, who has bestowed on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Before the world began, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless and to be full of love. God likewise predestined us through Christ Jesus to be adopted children. Such was God's pleasure and will that everyone might praise the glory of God's grace, which was freely bestowed on us in God's beloved, Jesus Christ. It is in Christ and through the blood of Christ that we have been redeemed and our sins forgiven. So immeasurably generous is God's favor given to us with perfect wisdom and understanding. God has taken pleasure in revealing the mystery of the plan through Christ to be carried out in the fullness of time, namely, to bring all things, in heaven and on earth, together in Christ. In Christ we were willed an inheritance, for in the decree of God, and everything is administered according to the divine will and counsel, we were predestined predestined to praise the glory of the Most High by being the first to hope in Christ. In Christ, you too were chosen. When you heard the good news of salvation, the word of truth, and believed in it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the pledge of our inheritance, the deposit paid against the full redemption of a people who are God's own, to the praise of God's glory. These are the words of God for all who would hear them. Thanks be to God. Okay, so first things first, sometimes the Apostle Paul and I do not get along. And trust me, you all will learn and know why as we journey together. And in addition, sometimes, uh, if I'm being real, a lot of the time, pseudo Paul or maybe Paul and I do not get along Because the truth is, I'm more of a Jesus follower than a disciple of Paul or maybe Paul. And I make the distinction between Paul and maybe Paul, because this is one of those letters that scholars posit was not actually written by the apostle himself, but by someone in the school of Paul. When I say in the school of Paul, it's kind of like how many of us have gone to schools, maybe named after someone or if you've gone to college or graduate school or beyond, maybe you've been taught in such a way that was influenced by another teacher, or for example, like the Socratic method, which was inspired by the teaching style of Socrates. And so we have definite ways, definitive ways that we learn and speak and write that are influenced by those schools of thought so that they seem similar but that doesn't make us the same as the original teacher or the person for whom the school is named. So the letter to Ephesians is one of those situations where it may sound an awful lot like something Paul may have written. Um, It may seem like something that could have come from him, but there are enough differences that it seems as though it's more likely that someone else was the author. So that's why I make that distinction. But regardless, no matter who wrote this letter, what we do know is that it was written to a church who was struggling with its identity. And that's why I believe this text is an excellent one for a new pastor at the start of a new appointment. Because pastoral transitions can create all kinds of anxiety and concern over whether the church will retain its identity whether the traditions will be respected, whether church will always be the church that folks have known and grown to love. There's often questions hanging in the air, like, will the pastor do the same things in the same way or make absolutely outrageous changes? Will this still be the church people have come to know and love under one pastor when another is coming in? And then certainly not just limited to the local church, but we also have the issues of our beloved United Methodist denomination. There are changes happening all the time in that respect. And so many changes are happening that it seems like things can be feeling a little out of control, that we don't have much that is certain. And it can sometimes feel like with everything going on, a pastoral change may be the straw that just may break the local church's back. And in truth, this weird in-between space of the church that we were versus the church that we are becoming, that weird space we inhabit right now as a 21st century church, this season of what's next or what's happening, in a way, it's kind of the same place that the church in Ephesus was. Let me explain, because the Jesus movement within the Jewish faith had been moving along for some time now at the time that this letter was written. And as with all movements, there was tension. Tension over the changes happening in response in particular to new folks coming into the faith who did not share a unified tie to Israel because they were not culturally Jewish. There were Gentiles coming into a faith movement that had existed within the Jewish faith tradition. Now, quite a bit of time has passed at the time that this letter goes out between Jesus's life, death and resurrection. And Jesus has yet to return as the apostle, I would like to call definitely Paul, said he would. Different churches are being created with different rules and different practices all over the Mediterranean and beyond. And core beliefs over time and rituals were being questioned, in some cases misinterpreted, and in other cases just flat out ignored. And so because of all of these upheaval moments of all of these uncertainty related changes, What we have here in this letter is a snapshot of what the church should believe. What those who were in the school of Paul were teaching and preaching and therefore encouraging others to declare for themselves. And this letter to the church at that time was one that declared that even amid all the changes and the strangeness and the newness that all of the people may be experiencing, the one thing they didn't need to experience was fear. And that's because God has already laid the foundation for salvation, which if we're using the root of the word, the foundation of wholeness and healing, God has already laid that out for this church and for all of creation from the very beginning of the beginning. Isn't it great when someone just lays it all out there for you so you don't have to guess what to expect or what they really stand for? It definitely makes things a lot easier. And so this letter can be seen as a letter of instruction, as well as a letter of comfort to the original hearers who were part of a very specific community, this new church in Ephesus. And as with all of the Pauline letters, the writer is addressing specific cares and concerns that applied to this particular church's context and ministry. Now that doesn't mean that there isn't wisdom still to be gleaned because so many of the concerns this particular ancient church faced are not so far removed from the challenges our modern day church faces, am I right? We're not so far removed from this ancient church, minus some particularities. As I mentioned before, our local church and our global United Methodist Church are in some state of flux. There are things happening. There are changes being made. There are clashes between new and old ideas. Like the writer of Ephesus, some of us are also concerned that the promises the church made before all the changes began may fall by the wayside. They may not come to fruition. And there's a fear that people will lose momentum or even give up entirely on the church's vision. And that's what I want to lift up today, especially for us here at Weston United Methodist Church. As we prepare ourselves for this exciting time of change, and it is exciting, it's also a time that brings a tinge of sadness and some uncertainty, and that's okay. Because pseudo-Paul, or maybe Paul's message for us here today, is the same as it was for the Ephesian church in many ways. That even when things feel uncertain, remember, remember who we are remember what we believe and remember to trust that God is in control and our identity and our vision have not changed. So what is our identity? Well, no matter who is pastor, we are still identifying ourselves as the body of Christ, as beloved children of God. We are still members of a church made up of the beloved community of people called Christians. That doesn't change. And what is our vision? Our vision is to transform the world by living out Christ's message of boundless and redemptive love. Our vision is to heal the brokenness, to fight the injustices, and to be merciful in the face of cruelty. This doesn't change. Even when beloved pastors take their leave of familiar congregations and as new pastors are welcomed into new appointments, it doesn't change. And it definitely doesn't change as churches and long-standing institutions question their own identities and futures. We are still the body. We are still beloved. And we are still called to change the world. Now, all that aside, I'm the new and incoming pastor. And I'm sure that you're wondering a little bit about me, especially as I stand up here and tell you that nothing will change when it certainly looks like everything is changing, right? So let me tell you a few things that I believe, and hopefully that will put us in a position where we can work together to continue being a beloved community dedicated to love and transformation. So this I believe, and you can fight me on this, but dogs are superior to cats. Emmy the church pug and Harold Earl the golden retriever can attest to the advanced skills and amazing abilities of dogs. However, that said, I do live in a both and world and I practice a both and faith. There's no either or. While I may be team dog, some cats are definitely given passes, especially my cat, Francis Aloysius Stuart IV, and my children's cat, Chester Marmalade the Younger, for they are indeed superior to most humans. This I also believe that all of God's children have sacred worth. And all means all. This means that regardless of your race, your ethnicity, your country of origin, your gender expression, your sexual orientation, your socioeconomic status, your education level, your marital status, your political affiliation, your liberal or conservative ideology, whatever it is, you are worthy and you are welcome. This pastor loves you and so does God. And there is nothing you can do about that. This I also believe, that hospitality is one of the greatest marks of ministry. Radical hospitality, the kind of hospitality that Jesus practiced and encouraged others to practice. This means that no matter when you drop in my office, There will be tea and snacks and time available to you. And if we're Zooming, I encourage you to have the snacks, to eat the lunch, to do whatever it is you need to do to sustain yourself while we chat. How committed am I to the Ministry of Hospitality? If you come into my office, you'll see that I collect teacups and teapots. This is how dedicated I am to this. They are always on hand. They are always ready to be employed. And I also make a mean snickerdoodle muffin, just so you know. So those can be made available at any time as well. Most importantly, I feel like you do not need to be a member of this church to receive my hospitality or for me to listen deeply to you. That's important because I am a pastor not just of this church, but to this community. This concept of radical hospitality is why our open communion table in the United Methodist tradition is so important, especially now, at a time when hospitality and actual physical presence is something we all need to reacclimate ourselves to as we emerge from this time of pandemic. This I also believe that the local church is an important locus for social justice ministry in our communities. See, we share this little corner of the world with our neighbors and they share it with us, which means that we as a church cannot disengage from what is happening in our world around us. Christ himself did not limit his ministry to the temple or to the people of his own faith tradition, and neither should we. I feel this is even more important now in this digital age where we are reaching people so far beyond our own borders, that this radical hospitality, this desire for social justice, it extends so far beyond where we physically are right now. And this, I believe that singing and potlucks are two of the best parts of being a United Methodist. The truth is, I, for as liberal and progressive as I can be, I love the old hymns as much as you all do. And yes, I still find myself referring to our The Faith We Sing supplement to our hymnal as the new hymnal, even though it's like more than 20 years old at this point. I grew up in the church And as for potlucks, hear this. As much as I enjoy them, I am allergic to walnuts and I am frightened by anything that may have been touched by a mayonnaise. Uh, That means anything. So please do not be offended if I don't eat it. It's not you, it is absolutely me and my absolutely unexplainable fear of all unidentified white condiments. But this I also believe, that telling our stories is the best way to share ourselves with one another. I want to know you. I want to really hear you. And I hope that you want to do the same with me. So tell me about your favorite church memories or your least favorite. I wanna hear about your 20th wedding anniversary, your high school football game, I want to know all the names of your dogs and your cats and your plants. Um, you will all at some point be introduced to my giant aloe named Ursula, who is currently residing on the back porch of the parsonage and truly living her best aloe life. Because this is how we learn to grow together. We do it through sharing. And I'm here to listen as much as I am to lead. This, I believe, That this church is a church with a wonderful history where people come together to celebrate and give the very best of who they are and of what God has provided them. I believe this church is a place made stronger because of the people who have walked through these doors and because of those who have walked back out into the world. I believe that we will grow and learn from one another and continue to do the work that God has called us all to do, to live into the gospel authentically and to transform the world as disciples of Christ, all of whom are sustained by the spirit. So in closing, just as maybe Paul wished to encourage the church they were writing to in antiquity, So may we be encouraged today and every day. Even as things change, even as we grieve what was, may we also be able to find joy in the exciting possibilities that come with change. May we celebrate and embrace what will be. Because what doesn't change is the church's vision, mission, ministry, and identity as Weston United Methodist Church. May we always remember who we are. May we never forget what it is that we believe. May we always stand firm for what we stand for. And may we be inclined to still embrace what is to come. I'm so thrilled to be here with you and to begin this exciting chapter in ministry together. May we always remember that we are God's beloveds and we are called to live the gospel out loud in the world together. May it truly be so for each and every one of us. Amen.